Good day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Great Reset Salon Podcast. Uh, this is Ed McGuire, and uh, Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi and I have been doing these regular meetups, conclaves with uh, the smartest, most insightful people that we know. Uh, I guess ourselves accepted, right? But we explore a theme every week and look to uh, really look to identify opportunities and insights and you know, best practices that all of us have learned living in this very exceptional time period that we find ourselves navigating and we like to be able to come away with uh, with insights and, and really positive uh, takeaways that we can that we can share and and uh, help to propagate in uh, concentric circles of goodness. So uh, we always start these off with um, with some initial comments from Julie, and then we'll we'll go to Brian. And today's theme is dispersion, and dispersion is a uh, complex topic. It's a uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but we are seeing it everywhere you look, there's dispersion going on. And I think, you know, just in our lives, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, I used to work in New York City almost every day of the week. And now I've been dispersed to our place in the suburbs in New Jersey. And I uh, don't see going back anytime before July of next year with any regularity. So uh, I'm somewhat dispersed, but we're all connected and electronically, digitally, and in many other ways. And this is how we continue our conversations. So with that, let me just turn it over to Julie to uh, to get your take on dispersion. What does dispersion mean to you? Thanks, Ed. And thanks, everybody, for being here. As I write this, I'm sitting here watching big green rolling waves barreling over their white foam boiling as they crashed near the shore. The wind had whipped them up into beautiful barrels, a lovely sight for a former surfer girl like me. I've considered getting fins and maybe a wetsuit and going in. Earlier, while I was eating lunch, a curious hummingbird was darting around, hovering midair with wings beating 50 beats per second. Birds chirp happily in the nearby trees. Uneven rows of pelicans skim the surface of the ocean, on their wave, single file towards their next meal. The sun glistens silver off the undulating sea and palm trees sway gently in the breeze. Across the street sits a food truck. The young owner makes the most gorgeous guacamole with perfectly fried and plated long golden twisting plantain chips and peel and eat shrimp. The owner of the second-hand shop there makes a mean, hand-muddled margarita to go with it all. This is my own personal dispersion, as I took leave of the constant explosions which left me sleep-deprived for months, coupled with COVID and the constant civil unrest. I was at ground zero for the looting and destruction that took place at the inner core of downtown L.A. Living in a city is expensive. One could buy a house somewhere for the price of a small single-room flat in the historic core, add another around $200 a month for parking the car, along with utilities, cell phone, insurance, and everything else, 
and suddenly much more than the recommended 30% is going toward living expenses. I was suffering PTSD symptoms in the city. My productivity was dialing down to near zero by the relentless protests and no justice, no peace uh, shouting, which got louder and louder by the day, up to six times a day, bombs bursting in air until two, three in the morning, most nights. I had unfortunately chosen a place just two blocks from the local police station and right down the street from City Hall, so I was at the epicenter of everything. Cities are exciting. There's a buzz of activity in cities, which is energizing. New York was known as the city that never sleeps. Yet part of the reason for that excitement is also the cultural amenities, from restaurants and bars to live music, the symphony, opera, museums, sporting events, galleries, open mic night, poetry slams at the local dive bar or coffee shop. These events are the kinds of things that draw people from near and far to move to the cities. Yet during COVID, we've learned that density is not your friend. Citizens of cities from New York to San Francisco, LA to Paris, Barcelona, Madrid, and many others are flowing out of the cities now in droves toward the suburbs or even to rural areas. Some are even going international. Many countries are taking advantage of this moment. Places like Barbados or Bermuda and others are offering special visas to attract the laptop class. Many companies are going in all going all in on remote work and many are doing so permanently. This is bound to change both the complexion of cities, but also the complexion of more remote zones. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, for example, recently cut his workforce loose to go all in on remote work, saying that concentration in San Francisco is not serving us any longer. Other big tech companies like Tesla are following suit. The upside of dispersion is that it will give people a chance to experience lives they'd never dreamed of prior to the pandemic. The downsides remain to be seen. As for me, I'm content with the $1.50 tacos made by request with an ice-cold Mexican Coke, the men who make them smile when they see me. I tell them I'm happy I'm there in my high school-level Spanish, and I am. In this week's Great Reset podcast, we'll consider the implications for good and ill of dispersion, dispersion from cities, dispersion from the workplace, and in some ways, dispersion from each other as people seek non-urban areas to shelter in place. We can think about the unequal impact on asset classes, geographies, and sectors, but also what dispersion may mean for society. We'll see people self-organizing in new ways around new values, behaviors, interests, or geographies when they are no longer New Yorkers, for example. And what about things like survivor's guilt that comes along with those who are able to flee the ravaged cities versus those who are forced to stay? And finally, 
what's the longer-term outlook for cities? This will certainly be the first of many discussions that we have on this topic as we seek to find our way through these challenging times. We're so glad you're here, and I look forward to the discussion. And I'm going to throw it over to Brian. Hey, thanks, Julie. You know, in your discussion of dispersion, I'm reminded that dispersion isn't just the, the act of uh, getting pushed apart, but it's also about the notion of weak attraction. So we are all, I think, at some level, looking for meaning beyond the, the petty things that we do every day. And if you go back in time and you, you look at, at uh, previous uh, viral outbreaks, the Black Plague gave rise to the Renaissance. And what drove the Renaissance was this idea that people that shared the same type of creative urges would go from these smaller cities, all smaller towns all over Europe, and then gather in the larger metropolitan areas at that time, Florence, uh, uh, Rome, and, and they would collaborate with each other and they would figure out, share their dreams, share their ideas. And from that kind of mixing pot, they would come up with amazing ideas that we, we still marvel at today. And so when you think about dispersion then, I think about what are the new types of cadence? What are the new ways of being able to work together? Because just as the, the Black Plague moved us away from the idea of, of churches and religion being our central operating principle to the idea of European nation states, I feel like we are going from concepts like the U.S., Russia, China, to more atomic, more fundamental, more fine-grained kinds of institutions where we can elect to work with each other and find meaning in the things that we do every day. And so thanks to Zoom, thanks to our ability to collaborate over long distances, I think that this, these weak attractions are over the time going to bring like-minded people together. And when those like-minded people come together and get more comfortable with working with each other, who knows what magic may come? And that excites me. So that's my, my shtick, and I'm sticking to it. Thanks. Yeah, it's the digital tribe that, uh, that's, that's uh, physically dispersed, right, that uh, is able to kind of sustain a lot of the, uh, the types of gatherings and conversations that, you know, that we're, we're not doing as much in person as, as, we, as we have been. So, you know, when we talk about dispersion, I mean, there are a lot of changes that are, uh, under, you know, that are in play or afoot, I should say. Um, that people have taken stock of, you know, their lives and decided to make big changes. And uh, I think one of the most unusual uh, aspects of, of living in this or unusual characteristics of, of this of this period is how many people have made big life changes in that they would not have made before uh, you know complete moving to completely different places different countries uh, you know changing jobs uh, you know pursuing passions and I'd like to I'd like to go next to uh, Larry Langs who um, who's got a story about uh, about dispersion and would love to hear, uh, Larry, you know, first of all, thanks for joining us. And would love to hear a bit of first of your kind of your context, how you think of dispersion and, and you know, what, what, what does it mean to you? And are there some 
know, some lessons that you might be able to share to others, you know, with others that, that might be looking to disperse in their own way. Okay, well, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, always looking to be helpful to others. Um, I guess I've been sort of a digital nomad since the early 1990s when I uh, first started uh, playing with companies like Apple Computer and Symantec uh, in Silicon Valley. And I bought my first PowerBook. And I used to hold office hours by the pool. And people looked at me kind of crazy, like, who is this guy? Why is he sitting by the pool? Um, uh, and over time, it's the whole uh, digital uh, disruption that has followed has um, really affected everybody. And um, I have an unusual situation because I am uh, I have leukemia. It's uh, it's active. It's I'm not in remission. Um, and I've been told by my oncologist that if I catch COVID, that I uh, most likely will not make it. Um, and that uh, in terms of uh, lack of enough hospital beds and ICU units and respirators, uh, I would not pass triage. So that forced my hand very heavily into you know, going from cocooning uh, in our house, which, was, uh, which I... Uh, did my best to optimize for, for COVID land, uh, you know, buying a giant freezer, setting up separate offices, uh, building, out, you know, building out a garage and things like that, to um, actually convincing my wife and my children that going someplace else really makes the most sense. And first we looked at just having a second place nearby, um, you know, having a, having a plan B for, for fires, for COVID, because um, the fires are really, really devastating to my immune system. Um, and, you know, so we, we were looking at getting a ski house. We looked at getting a, a place in Mendocino. And uh, in the process, I discovered that well, the United States approach to the pandemic does not allow for any type of real segregation that you're you're only one step away from a super spreader who feels it's his personal or her personal um god-given right to not wear a mask and not observe and um and without getting too political about it uh uh my first law job as a lawyer was working for our uh hopefully soon to be exiting president and um, I, it, it's, it's just horrifying to me what I've been seeing. And uh, I, I read an analogy, which I posted on Facebook at one point, that it was, uh, you know, that our, our, our approach in the United States of COVID uh, you know, containment seems like setting up an area in a large swimming pool that's the peeing section. So <laughs> it just obviously doesn't work. Oh my so, gosh. So um, I, uh, I, I had to start looking elsewhere. We, we're lucky we have, uh, the ki my kids speak fluent Russian and we've been going to Europe for summers and we have a, a place in Montenegro on the, uh, near the beach. And so they looked 
they looked pretty good because uh, in June they had almost no COVID. It was kind of remarkable. They got all this press for being low COVID, but I was looking at the neighbors and going, hmm, the neighbors are not looking good. And a uh, huge amount of Russian tourists and Russia wasn't looking good, uh, but we still, but my wife made me buy tickets. She says, let's go. Let's go there. It'll be safe. We'll put the kids in private school there. And uh, well, the, it started spiking. And I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'm an MIT grad. And so is my wife. So we we really like data. We like numbers. And uh, so we do real analysis. And you know, I have I have a lot at stake, right? So I'm I'm doing heavy heavy analysis and i spotted the trend early before it even hit the papers and i was like this is not good it just jumped up to 500 new cases in a day because they opened it up to some tourists from russia and that's all it needed and it just spiraled so now it's almost as bad as the united states so that didn't work out luckily i was able to get you know, some of the some of the money back from the air tickets um so then i started looking at okay well uh what, what are we what are we solving for so we're, uh, we're solving for, you know, a, a place that we can communicate has, you know, we can communicate and operate in English, uh, a place that is very, very low COVID, the, the lowest possible COVID, um, a mature approach to the pandemic and a respect for it, um, a stable political environment that's safe, you know, low, low crime rate. Um, affordable if possible um but that wasn't the highest thing uh because we, we did look at bermuda um and uh you know first i was looking at things like islands and um our ideal our, our ideal candidate was victoria british columbia because we could actually drive up there um go, get a nafta visa uh and then take a ferry across and there was a great British school there for my kids. And that seemed to, that seemed to really be a major, uh, a major opportunity. But then as things spiraled out of control in the United States, they kept the, the door completely shut. And even though I was working through one of my friends who used to work for me when I was running a public company up there to, um, you know, categorize me as essential, uh, I couldn't get my family in. So I could get in, but I couldn't get my family. So that killed that idea, which was really unfortunate. Um, and uh, then we looked at Hawaii and said, okay, well, now let's, we're going back to air flights, which is, increases our risk dramatically. Just getting into an airplane is scary. And then, so I looked at Hawaii because I thought, well, okay, well, Hawaii has had a very mature approach to things, but when the federal government is putting intense pressure on, you know, opening economies and it's very tourist dependent, uh, I knew there was a matter, it's a ticking time bomb. And they, when they, and just as we were applying to private schools there, uh, they opened it, opened up the, the islands to inter-island traffic and already started seeing a spike. And I was looking at Kauai and Kauai, uh, with a like a seventy thousand person population, has nine yes nine ICU beds. So that was like being on a giant cruise ship. You know, <laughs> you know no place, no way to get off. Um, so that was yeah. that, that that is not going to work at all. So then I started looking. Okay, well now let's look at the entire world and 
So I started using different, different data sources um, uh, of the European Union data sources, um, uh, CDC, uh, you know, different, uh, different countries. I, I even looked at one sort of translated. Um, oh, and, and by the way, I, I was offered the Russian vaccine. If I got to, that was one of the big things going to Montenegro. Um, we have some very strong connections to the place that um, manufactures their vaccine. As a matter of fact, I've been taking a special probiotic uh, for the past six years, five years, um, that is made in the same place that, uh, um, that is, I think has really been very helpful because um, there's no real treatment for me other than chemo. Um, but that seems to have been working and keeping the, uh, the cancer at bay. Um, so, I, you know, I, I had an incentive to go there. So as I, as I went through iteratively, we went, we went to different places, and um, New Zealand was, a, was an interesting you know, uh, prospect, but getting through immigration was going to be challenging. And, uh, but I know some people who have been successful at navigating that. They've been able to get jobs there. Um, my, uh, my wife wanted to keep her job. Uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, I wanted to help her do that. But she, uh, so, so initially we were trying not to move too far time zones, but once she committed to going to Montenegro, I was like, all right, well, if we can go anywhere, um, let's go anywhere. And that's when I started looking really everywhere. And uh, you know, I ended up in Thailand, I'll, I'll sort of short, shortcut this, with, because I, I haven't looked at today, but I, I think the United States has about 4,800 cases per 100,000 in COVID now. Um, and Thailand has six, not 6,000, six. And they have, they have intense contact tracing. Uh, actually, there's been a breakout at the, the border of Myanmar uh, past past week or so. They, but they, they track exactly, they know where it came from. They move the army and they shut it down completely. They take it very seriously um, and they're extremely professional about it. I, I, I felt like uh, when I got off the plane, uh, you know, we were processed very professionally, but everybody had like hazmat suits on. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like uh, I was in um, uh, the movie Outbreak. It was pretty intense. And, uh, and here at, at, at the hotel, there. You're, you're literally you're just not allowed out out of the room unless unless you've passed your second COVID test, and then then you have access to the pool area, and you still have to wear a mask if you're near people. Um, but you get one hour a day, and then um, uh, yeah. And, and now I thankfully I've passed my I guess my third COVID test, and uh, um, and we're leaving we're leaving tomorrow. I, I'm uh, I'm happy to say it's been uh, you know a bit confining, but that's been my life. That's been our life in, uh, in the San Francisco Bay area. My son, my son was telling me, Oh, you know, that is not that different. You know, it's like, it's not that hard because it's, you know, we still don't see any, I didn't see any of my friends anyway. I just don't get outside to go walking. Um, so we ended up with, with, with Thailand. We had, we found an absolutely top quality bridge school, one of the best in Asia, uh, on the Island of Phuket, which is a, uh, just second in, in Thailand to Bangkok for tourism. Um, 
but has closed the island for any international traffic. And um, the uh, and and actually, Bangkok is the number one touristed uh, city in 2019 over over London, which was a little shocking. I haven't double checked that, but uh, it, it's even if it's not accurate, fully accurate, it's in that it's in that ranking. So. We're in, a, we're in a place that is set up for Western tourists that, um, that has British schools, so in school in English, uh, with great facilities. Uh, everybody in the country, you know, the, you know, pretty much speaks English. You, you need, there's doctors. And it's also, uh, also we were solving for the best medical care in the planet, too. And I have come to, uh, we, we used to live in Abu Dhabi. And I, I used to come to, to Bangkok for, for medical treatments and for, for physicals because it was one of the top places in the world for medical tourism. So that was another one of the big factors that got us here. Um, and uh, we haven't gotten to Phuket yet. We're still in Bangkok in quarantine, but uh, I'll be there in about a week. And uh, I'm, I'm very excited to have gotten through the, uh, you know, the entire process of applying for the visa and uh it was which was cumbersome by the way it was a it was a big and, and every time we you know my wife and i hit like a roadblock and like hey, this is so difficult we have to time the, the pcr test and we have to get you know these birth certificates are authenticated and blah 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 I, I was thinking it's harder it's harder for other people to get in so this makes it even safer for us and um and now that we're here i can't tell you how much safer i feel i uh, you know just even in a place like san francisco bay where you have socially conscious people i mean i'd say very progressive socially conscious people you have so many people who are just idiots and they like they wear the mask below the nose or they touch everything in the grocery store and then wipe their then touch their their wipe their nose and stuff it's uh, having having lost my entire immune system um, and had and having had to learn how to protect myself, um, uh, it, 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 I was aghast at the casualness of people were thinking that um, uh, that a, a mask was sort of an invisible force shield that will keep everything away from them. So I, I'm happy to say that we're here. Uh, happy that we got into the school, uh, and we have a side benefit of. of uh, I, we're we're going to be staying in a four star hotel when we start when we get there near the beach um, for about thirty five dollars a night per room uh, for wow. a two bedroom suite. We're on our way. So it's I'm telling you it's it's a it's a I'm I'm I'm, tr I'm going to try to recruit some of my friends to move here. That is uh, an incredible gauntlet. I mean to have to go through, but then the the payoff in a way it's uh, um, I, you sort of think about, you know, in new Orleans um, I believe if, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it used to be that malaria was seen as a surviving malaria was seen as a bit of a rite of passage to live in new Orleans in the, in the 19th century back, back in the day, days well before uh, you know, effective treatments and uh, well, 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 the, uh, the, the, of the different processes that you had to go through on the, you know, in, to, to get there. 
um, you know, are nothing like having to survive malaria in a sense. It, but that builds up. It, it's it's that sort of a it's a it's a uh, it's it's a moat of sorts that uh, does protect you, and and that's um, the way you've described it. It, it really is. Uh, it's a it, it's remarkable to what extent you know that that uh, other other countries have gone to to maintain safety and keep people healthy. So um, and that's an incredible story. And you know when you think about having left a a city and dispersing. Um, you know, the implications do go much broader. I mean, I think all of us, uh, um, I know Brian's in, um, in Denver, you know, Julie was in, in LA, I'm in the New York area, and we've seen, you know, so much dispersion away from our crowded urban centers. And, and just recently, just yesterday, there was a, a story about the, um, the, uh, the rents in, San Francisco declining by over a third. So, you know, clearly there's a, you know, there, there's some big changes. And, and, you know, with that, I'd like to turn it over to, uh, to Sheridan, uh, Sheridan Tatsuno for his, uh, his insights on, you know, dispersion and the, you know, the, you know, what, first of all, your, you know, your, uh, your impressions of the, uh, you know, the, the process of, of, you know, Larry's story and, and also what, dispersion means more broadly for, you know, for the, for the future of, of, of cities and urban areas. Well, very first of all, okay, Sheridan, I'm in San Francisco and, and I'm an urban planner by training. I've been in, uh, I'm a writer, fiction and nonfiction, and I, I'm a serial entrepreneur and corporate strategy. So I look at it from fiction, uh, planning, uh, in business and strategy. And first of all, Larry, thank you for sh uh, sharing your story because, you know, I'm a writer and I wrote my latest novels would have been about the COVID-19 and the tragic stories that I'm hearing. Um, so, you know, it really kind of enriches it. And I appreciate your sharing the stories because it's difficult during a crisis for most people to open up. That's, and we know that because it's, it's hard and it's heartfelt. Um, and I've been through tragedy, so I understand. Now, um, I haven't personally been involved with COVID, but my daughter has. She was in LA in the COVID ward when it first broke open back in January and March, or February. And they were totally caught off guard. No PPEs. They had not enough equipment. And they, all the nurses were going in totally unprepared. They didn't know what was going on. The doctors were afraid of going in. And so she told me all the horror stories for the couple of months of what it was like to be in the COVID ward watching these people coming in, losing some people and the ventilators. So I've heard all the horror, horror stories in detail in the front line back in February, March, March and April. So anyway, so one of the things, Larry, I think is that you're kind of a, um, I would say kind of a, a social barometer. Um, his, recently we've seen a lot of medical tourism because it's too expensive to operate here in the u.s so many americans go overseas to cheaper locations to take the family have a vacation do it for like one tenth the price enjoy the vacation recover and come home covid is accelerating the process in some cases one way or at least until the you know for people with immune systems after the vaccines are back they will come back so they'll just basically go overseas where it's safer until it settles down here. Now, um, short term, here's kind of my view on this whole thing. Um, the, the vaccines are coming. 
skin, we know the order, who's going to get it first, the first provider defense, first um, line of defense, the senior citizens homes, and then you have teachers and people like that. Um, from an urban planning point of view, here's what's going to happen. Already it's happening now. The tech industry can be is footloose, can go anywhere. So they're leaving town. They don't need to be here. Um, and it's just as well. From an urban planning point of view, there's no reason why you have high-paying people pushing rents to the roof for everybody else when they don't, and they have to commute for two hours, an hour. Better to put them out into the countryside or some smaller city. So actually, frankly, I, and then it's better to dis, disperse tech jobs from Silicon Valley in case we have an earthquake or something, that it's not good to put all your eggs in one basket. So from urban planning and from a business point of view, better to get them out of California, actually. All right. And that would make land and housing more available and affordable to everybody else who needs to be here or wants to be here. The other thing, too, is that um, if you're not aware, because of the declining rents, nurses and doctors are now coming into the city. And the fastest growing industry right now is biomedical and life sciences because they need to be near the hospitals and talk top research universities. So what I see happening is that we're just seeing the exodus of the tech industry and the arrival of the biotech industry. So San Francisco and New York are already doing it. Um, if you look at the real estate, and I'll give you the link, New York Times articles, and it's popping up across the country. Um, cities are now becoming bio cities, biomedical cities because all the hospitals are located there, the researchers are there, the universities are there, all the young students, the graduates are all there. Everything's there. If you go to the countryside, there aren't too many hospitals, no medical research hospitals, almost. So it's not a good place. I've seen several cities like Cincinnati and others now, they had big you know, sports stadiums and all, pff, totally gone. They're moving them and turning them to biomedical clinics. Sports, um, sports medicine, but also COVID and everything else. So everything's being turned into biomedical. That's the future of San Francisco Bay Area. Um, San Francisco's Bay Area is number one in biotech venture. So you had 30%, that's like 40, 50% may go higher. Um, this could be billions of dollars coming into biotech from investors, private, public. So it's going to cluster in Silicon Valley because we already know how to do it. And Rents are cheaper now. So a lot of the startup companies in biotech are moving finally to the city because all the big boys are moving out, you know, Google's and all. And so it's affordable for small companies, biotech. So we're going to see, in, in terms of research industries, a whole shift from tech to biotech and medical and life sciences and delivery services and things like that. Now, in terms of people, um, Cities are sponges, okay? So I'm an urban planner, so I studied cities going back you know, 10 to 20,000 years. So typically cities grow when there's economic opportunity. The attractor is called jobs, all right, and culture and, and, and education. So during the boom years, like Silicon Valley, when we have an you know, 80s boom, 90s boom, you know, huge numbers of people coming to the city and the thing goes to the roof, right? It's called the California gold rush. And then every time we have a collapse, we notice there's a collapse and then back in... After 2000, and I was here in 2010, the cities were empty. This market street was dead in 2010. You couldn't, like, couldn't find people. So we've seen the boom-bust phenomena, and tech is just faster and bigger. Right? And so now the same thing's going to happen. We're already beginning to see the arrival of biotech into the San Francisco now. And so we're going to see more biomedical people, not tech people anymore. And then the second is that young people are going to come back. 
especially the biomedical related and the supporting industries around marketing sales and all. And the reason is that when young people get the vaccine, they're not going to die. Most of them you know, will be fine. So the first people coming back, in fact, I walk around town, I notice even Castro places, the average age, I think, is 20 to 40. I don't see any 80, 70-year-olds in Castro or Valencia. They don't want to die. So they don't come into town. All my older friends stay home. Um, all the younger people are very frustrated, angry, and there's more of them. So I noticed they tend to come out. So what's going to happen is as the vaccines are deployed, the young people are going to get it first. We need to get them back to the universities and schools. Right now, it's a serious problem because the parents can't work. The wife, the mothers usually are stuck with watching kids, and, and they, they can't afford it. So they have to quit their jobs. So what's happening is that as soon as we open the schools again and, and vaccinate the kids and the teachers, then we can get the, the mothers go back to work, and then things get going, the economy get going, all right? So that's what I see happening. Now, the older teachers will not come back, probably, because again, you know, over 50 year, if you're high risk, better not come back. So many of them will just stay, um, tell the teaching from home or wherever, and not and minimize their contact. So in, in, in the nutshell, cities are gonna get younger very fast, be a huge explosion of under 40s, almost no seniors, and workforce. And that's good. I hate to say this, but it's going to clear out the ranks for the young millennials who've been frustrated sitting under the baby boomers. That all the new job openings will probably be mostly young, young managers. And um, the older ones are going to move, leave the cities because for health reasons but that's good though because really it's going to create lots of opportunities for everybody and then as for the medical tourism that's going to create whole new industries telehealth apple just invested in telehealth so pretty soon it's going to be all over the world these you know, telemedical hubs where people are there in covid lockdown and it's all socially designed like what you just described in fact you'd be the perfect advisor to any biomedical company or university, how do you redesign communities to be safe? How do you use technology to link you so you can still keep your job? And so all that is this redesigning our lives. And, and you know, that's what urban planning is all about anyway. We try to figure out what's the needs. And then we listen to people like Larry and say, you know, what do you want? How do you do it? What's wrong with society? What would be a better way of doing things? Um, and let us know because that's how we design policies that are sane. Otherwise, we're living in the past with these inane policies that have no meaning at all. In fact, they could kill people. So today I think people, now I'm working with a startup company called Main Street X. We're doing um, FinTech. We're a financing for small businesses that are being hit by COVID. But we're talking to the National Governors Association and they have two groups. One is the COVID team, the, the, the for the healthcare and then the small business recovery team. So we know we're working closely in recovery, but that's premised upon the bio, the bio strategies. So they, have, they, they work together very closely. And it's stories like Larry's that are gonna drive how cities can reopen, redesign, and do everything in business. Otherwise you have to shut down again like the US. So it, it's really complex. Um, all I could say, though, I'm very optimistic, frankly. In fact, I wrote about it in my novel, 
and I can give you the links to, I'll put the yes, links. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. I uh, wanted, yeah. wanted to have you So what I did is I'm, I was in virtual reality and I said, oh, this is perfect. I was doing a virtual reality novel series, a comedy book, homeless shelters and housing and stuff. And then when COVID hit, I wrote one called Virally San Francisco, where people are dying and the mayor's locked down and then she doesn't know what to do to save the city. So the gamers in virtual reality, because all the kids are at home and many are gamers, they use virtuality creature, virtual San Francisco to put the whole city online, all the shops, everything. And then they do, they monetize it. Sort of like a, um, think of it like streaming gaming, like Netflix, but virtual reality and Google Earth, we can walk around the cities and Fortnite with big music festivals where they charge and you're bringing in billions of viewers like Gangnam style. And that's how you monetize it, is that you become, the city becomes a gigantic shopping mall. So basically the gamers say, well, since all of us are online anyway and you want to attract us when you spend money online, um, this turns San Francisco like Google Earth into one gigantic virtual San Francisco. And then you can walk through the towns and then sell products, whatever you want, avatars, virtual avatars, and then. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it is pretty remarkable. And, and uh, you know, I think you've outlined, uh, Sheridan, a, um, you know, a, a, a vision that is really hopeful and really optimistic. Um, Larry's story is incredible. And, and Larry, I didn't even get to, uh, you know, get to address the, you know, the fact, you know, that first of all, you know, our, uh, you know, I'm just hoping that you are able to lick your uh, lick your cancer, uh, and just take it out behind the barn and, and give it a nice whooping, and continue to just you know be amazing. I mean, because it sounds like you've got a great family and uh, and involved in a lot of a lot of amazing things. But the story that you just told, um, you know, that you that your process that you laid out. Uh, of how you ex you you approached your situation methodically and logically, and you looked you know at all of your options and and kept kept going as you know as some as certain doors closed. I mean, you 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 kept going until you found a place that uh, sounds like a pretty amazing place to be. And you know, I think we're you know it's really inspiring, and I and I think others that hear this, um, it, you know, we hope that it's going to you know it'll. It'll give others, you know, ideas that, you know, to, to do the same, to, the, to do something similar too when they're faced with, you know, with, with having to make big changes. And, and um, you know, I, I, you know, could also say, I mean, we know several people who have left. I actually, um, my down the street neighbor, uh, we saw him walking his dog. Uh, all by himself. He's got two dogs and it turns out he's got his wife is Japanese and they have uh, two daughters who are school age and a son who's uh, in college and he's uh, early on they they just decided to have uh, his wife and, and their two girls go to Japan until things settle down and I think that you know they're and so though they're there he doesn't know how long he's going to be here and his son is has got a girlfriend I guess he's he's college age so doesn't know what he's going to do so uh, changes come thick and fast, and and Sheridan, your articulation of this shift from, uh, you know, from digital tech to to biotech, you know, again from digital to organic, um, in many respects is is uh, 
a metaphor for what's happened in, in a lot of a, a lot of lives that had been dependent on uh, you know, posturing on social media and creating uh, you know, you know, creating um, you know images you know for consumption of others, but the uh, the relationships that we're all building and the and the kind of the new the new uh, networks and and the and the creative churn that's happening in, in, as well um, is is also key. So um, we, it looks like we're we've, we've kind of run out of time here. So we do want to be respectful of, of everybody. Um, uh, Larry and Sheridan, we want to thank you, you know, deeply again for your for your time and insights, and uh, look to continue continue our conversations in the not too distant future. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank All you right, so cheers. much, you guys. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Great Reset Salon podcast. Uh, Julie, Brian, and we all get to see each other now. Next week, we've got uh, more good stuff coming. Uh, look, we are looking forward to it, which is exciting. Looking um, forward to it, Ed. We are definitely looking forward to it. So... Uh, we want to we want to thank everybody. Uh, if, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, we do appreciate the support. And please consider giving the show a rating or review on our iTunes. That helps us build the community and will help us to continue to bring good content your way. We'll talk to you soon, everybody.